Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Lord, the word today is a tough one for me, Um, so I ask for help. It's not tough because I don't know what it says. It's tough because I do. I pray for courage, O Lord, to hear it for all of us, for myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have noticed that the grudges you hold quickly become the things that hold you? The things that we treasure as bits and pieces of resentment when we look in the lives of other people, uh, loved ones, people that cut us off on the freeway, the things that we get stuck with, Uh, people that we're in relationship with, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, roommates. It doesn't take long, does it, for us to rub up against one another and and to, to start to build little pockets of resistance and resentment to to real relationship, right? Uh, if I were to if I were to push in and ask you, it wouldn't take me too long, I don't think, and to name any relationship in which you can begin to recall little little slights, little insults, little ignoring of your feelings, little poking you where they know they ought not poke you, little pushes of buttons that that they know tweak you, right? And, and they just they just keep doing it, and you know they're doing it on purpose. You know, how many of you know they're doing it on purpose, right? But it doesn't take very long before that little grudge that we hold, that we kind of warm and nurture as the as the innocent victim of somebody else's button pushing. We discover pretty quickly that we're not holding it anymore; it's holding us. It has begun to define us. So how do, we, how do we negotiate life in a human community filled with people like us who accidentally step on one another's toes? I was coming out of a Starbucks the other day, and a woman was walking in, and we passed each other uh, as, we, as we went through the door, and I stepped on her flip-flop as she went through the door. So, so, so she, was, she, was, she was in mid-stride. And I captured her. That, and, and I mean, it, she came right out of her flip-flop and oh, we were fine. You know, it, it was only a minor traffic incident. Uh, it only took us a couple hours to straighten out the insurance and stuff like that. It's not true. But anyway, how, anybody else who just have those? And that was a tiny little thing, but sometimes they're bigger things. And sometimes they're bigger things with people we care about. As opposed to random strangers walking past us into Starbucks, right? How many of you have more grace for those folks than you do for the people you live with? Right? Just my sister and I. So we, you and I are going to have a good conversation this morning. Yeah. How do we live? How do, here's, here's a better one. How does God live with us? When the offenses maybe aren't so minor and aren't about personality, but about real violations of things that he knows are best for us. How does, how does he negotiate a relationship with a human community that has nothing but broken people in it? Who, who 
sometimes do things by accident and as often and more often do things on purpose that, that, that fragment and damage and, 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 and cause dismay in relationships. So today we're going to talk about how he does it and how he invites us to do it. And that is through forgiveness. That forgiveness orients us towards the brokenness. It's the only way we can negotiate our lives. A couple of weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, I, I was talking about the character of God is filled with loving kindness and tender mercy. Those two words, chesed and chemet, that define the Hebrew kind of understanding of who God is in Exodus and it carries through. And we've been talking a little bit about that and shifting gears now to think about who God is, how who God is affects who we are and who we understand ourselves to be, loving God, loving ourselves, and then how that translates into loving other people. Uh, because you, you know that, that forgiveness is also got to be part of the way we live with ourselves. Right? That, that when I do something wrong, which happens way more often than I wish it were, how do I go forward knowing I'm the, not just the kind of person, um, I, I, knowing that I am the kind of person who does those kinds of things? Right? I'm not just, I just didn't do it by accidents. I'm the kind of person who does things that hurt people, that, who hurt, that does things that hurt me. How do I live with myself? And the, sh- the short answer is, I've got to treat myself with the same grace and mercy that God treats me with. Otherwise, Pride is the problem. Who do I think I am to believe that I am not the recipient of loving kindness and tender mercy when that's the character of God towards me? Do you, do you see? So, so when we look at this, I'd like you to look at this text. We're going to look at three primary texts. Psalm 130 uh, starts us off. It's in bright fluorescent someplace. Where did it go? Did it go away? Okay. If you have Bibles, we can go the old-fashioned route. We're going low-tech. Pick out one of these. Uh, We've got a few on the sides here if anybody needs them. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. Now we can go on. But if you are using the low-tech version and want to underline things or cross things out that you would wish were not there, um, Psalm 130 is where we're at, and we're on page 431 in this version, all right? So let's just look at it together. Oh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And here's the passage I want you to notice. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are awesome. I wait for the Lord then. My soul waits. In His Word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Oh, people of God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. With Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem His people. I just Let's just keep that up there and let me walk through this a little bit. The key passage, obviously, is the one in the, message, in the middle there. If you, O Lord, kept a record 
of sins. Oh, Lord, who could stand? Just sit with that for just a second. God never forgets anything you've ever done. He can't forget. Whatever forgiveness means, it does not mean forgetting. What it means is no record kept. I will not treat you by what I know to be true, but which has been forgiven. How many of anybody else besides me glad that God doesn't treat you based on what He knows? He treats us based on who He is. His loving kindness and tender mercies translates into forgiveness, which is grace on the ground. Forgiveness is grace on the ground. It's grace with flesh on it. It's grace with an embrace by the one whom you have hurt. Forgiveness is grace embodied in practice. It's fine to talk about loving kindness and tender mercy up at the ethereal level, right? But how does that translate into uh, my behavior with somebody who I have hurt or somebody who has hurt me? How does that translate into that? And it translates primarily through the mechanism of forgiveness. It's grace, it's loving kindness, tender mercy embodied, grace on the ground. Oh Lord, if you kept a record of sins... Who could stand? So what is it that enables us to stand? There's forgiveness with you. And that's why you are awesome. That, by the way, is the proper use of the word. Right? Um, Literally, the Hebrew says, you are to be feared. You are to be held in awe. Why? Because our lives are in your hands. We are hanging off the side of Half Dome. We could die if you kept a record of our sins. But, I love that word. You don't do that because there's forgiveness. So now we start. How many of you are very grateful for having received forgiveness? How many now know that that, however, requires you? To act in forgiveness to others, and that's a little less good news. (laughs) Because we love to receive forgiveness, unless, of course, we don't believe we did something wrong. Have you ever had one of those friends in school or uh, at work or even people that you're very close to just come up here? Brother, I I just want you to know, I I, I forgive you. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. (laughs) Now, how is Alex responding to that? That implies that I did something wrong. And I just want you to know, no. Right? Because if we forgive people as a way of control or manipulation, it's not forgiveness at all. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So, so, so what, is, what is the case? I have to have a heart and attitude towards forgiveness, whether the person... I am forgiving, acknowledges their wrongdoing or not. Please notice, God does not forgive you when you ask. He forgives you before you ask. It is His forgiving that makes your asking actionable. Jesus did not hang on the cross and say, Father, when they ask, forgive them. 
He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. That's what actualized the work of the cross on the ground. He has acted in forgiveness towards us before we had enough smarts to even ask. Before we even had enough awareness of the person in the mirror to know we needed forgiveness, He has created the climate within which forgiveness is not only possible, but is already available. And we have to just receive what He has already done. That's the nature of forgiveness. Now, that's what He wants to us to actualize in our relationships with one another. And so I'd like to uh, take you to a prayer that... Um, uh, that, that gets us to this because His forgiveness is the primary way that God orients Himself to us and to the world. It is the foundation of our entire existence before Him. So notice how this works out in a popular prayer. This then, Jesus said, is how you should pray. Our Father, please notice the relational component is established. In the heavens, may Your name be hallowed, celebrated, made great. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he adds this codicil. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, what can Jesus possibly be saying? We recognize even though it's fluorescent yellow, it's actually in red. This is what He said. Can He mean what He said? Can He mean there's a condition on God's forgiving of us that relates to our forgiving of others? Because if that's the case, it's a crapshoot, isn't it? Because sometimes I forgive generously out of my heart and other times I don't. Sometimes I like to keep the grudge because it keeps me warm at night in the pit of my resentment. Right? I, I like to hold that little weapon just in case she gets too close and does it again. <clears throat> right? Hey, no, just me? So, so can he? Well, and and part of what we're dealing with here is the ancient Near Eastern technique of hyperbole in teaching. Jesus wanted to slap us on the side of the face and say, "This is a big deal." How do you relate to God as your Father? It is only because He has acted in forgiveness towards you in the first place. So, if you relate to God as Father, but do not live in the forgiveness you have received that has enabled that relationship by acting it out with other people? Who do you think you are? Because it's not the child of the Father. So, His forgiving us of us is not conditional on our forgiving of others. Our forgiving of others is a mark of our having been forgiven by the Father and living in that forgiveness that orients us to Him. This is a hard one for us, isn't it? At least it is, it, it is for me. Forgiveness, then, is the primary way. Our forgiving of other people is a primary way by which this prayer gets answered. Your kingdom come is answered primarily when we extend forgiveness to others. That's what grace on the ground looks like. That's why loving others 
as an indicator of the flow. Remember that that alignment of of our lives with the flow of the love of God. That's why forgiveness is so important. It's not enough that we have been forgiven by a loving God. It is that that forgiveness that we have received needs to flow through us and through us gets actualized in the lives of people who hurt us. In the lives of people who offend us. In the lives of people who wound us. That's the way the kingdom comes. That's what it means to be. Because how many of you live in a world in which revenge and payback and grudge holding is the, is the order of the day? How do you intend the kingdom to come into that world? Jesus gave us a couple of strategies. Neither of them are pleasant. Forgive because you've been forgiven and turn the other cheek. Become such a person as can absorb the pain of other people's wounds. Become such a person as can can take that horror that has occurred. Because most of us hurt people because we've been hurt by people. Right? That's where the wounds come from in the first place. We're damaged. We're, we're abused. We're, we're hurt by somebody, a parent, a, a friend in school, somebody. And, and out of that wound, out of that hurt, out of that pain, we begin to externalize that. Isn't that what happens? And so, you know, the, the, the typical bumper sticker, 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 there. Hurting people hurt people. So how do we deal with not just the hurt, but the hurting? Jesus says, here's a clue. Do it the way I did it. Become so solid in who you are in your heavenly Father that you can absorb the pain that they bring you without retaliation. Now that doesn't mean you own it. That doesn't mean it's true of you. It means that when you absorb their pain, you get it to Jesus You hang it on the cross and you move on. Water off a duck's back. I don't have to own what you say about me. I don't have to, I don't have to get stuck in your stuckness. Right? So when you shame me, when you ridicule me, when you hurt me, I don't have to own that because it says nothing true about me. What is true about me is that I'm the beloved son of the Father. In me, in Christ, He is well pleased. Right? So if, Matthew, you don't like me, that's your problem. Right? And if your pain and your wounds, because this is what happens to us, right? Generates in wounding of me, I want to I I I give you a safe place. Now, please notice, this requires a lot of growing up and maturing of us, doesn't it? It requires of us to know how deeply we have been wounded and how deeply we have been forgiven. Right? This is not easy. This is not easy. I'm not saying this is easy. But I am saying if we want the kingdom to come, this is a primary strategy by which that prayer will be answered. Do you see? This is a primary... It's not about being taken advantage of in in each and every circumstance. That's not about violation or loss of boundaries. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we need to recognize we live in a human world with human beings who do human things to other human beings and sometimes horrific things to other human beings. How do we move forward? 
Do we just push the easy button and start over? No. Because then we don't learn the lessons of the pain that has occurred. That's what forgiveness does. It enables the redemption of pain. So, it, 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 our forgiving of others is a primary way of, of participating in the kingdom. Failure to forgive, Jesus says, disorients us to the kingdom. It's an indication that we want our kingdom to come rather than God's kingdom to come. Our will to be done more than God's will to be done. How many of you want to be forgiven but don't want God to forgive others in precisely the same way? There's a few people that you're happy for Him to forgive, but a much longer list that you'd just as soon He take your advice on. Right? I mean, we, we, all, we, we all do this. All right? So our acting to forgive is the mark that we stand in the forgiveness of God. What's fascinating to me is that the disciples understand how radically painful this is. So look at this next text where Peter, speaking for all of us, says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And here he's being generous. As many as seven times? Can you just see the, the calculus of forgiveness? Five, six, seven. Prepare for surgery. No. Uh, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Please notice here, Jesus is not now giving us a new clock. So that when we get up to 77 times on 78 we can lop off their heads with the sword. He is echoing an Old Testament standard of the extremity of revenge. It's in Genesis chapter 5 where uh, one, of, one of Cain's descendants declares that he has the right of... Re I have slain a boy, he says, for wounding me. Lamech's wives, listen. His name is Lamech. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech will be avenged seventy-sevenfold. Don't let anybody mess with me. So the threat of the, of the nuclear option, the mutually assured destruction, is enough to protect the insecurity that is at the center of Lamech's soul. Which is where that comes from, Right? Why do I have to make you pay if you hurt me? Well, 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 because nobody else cares about me. That's the point. You have a heavenly Father who knows what you need. Do you know that you do? So Peter says, how many times? Jesus says, not seven, but 77 times. And then he goes on and makes it worse. Kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, his children, everything he had was sold to repay the debt. So the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Notice, not arranged payment, but canceled the debt and let him go. 
That is a good day. You won the lottery without buying a ticket. That's what happens, right? Now look at, here's, here's where it gets, goes sideways. When that servant went out, he stumbled over one of his fellow servants who owed him a, a hundred denarii. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, I love this, and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you back. Same language. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then this horrible line. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Mm. Aren't you glad it's just a story? Now, what's Jesus saying here? There's a way to avoid this. Because that's that's where my mind goes right away. Doesn't it to your that last line? How many of you would like to avoid your Heavenly Father treating you like this? Anybody not know how to do that? Don't just receive forgiveness. Act in that forgiveness to others who owe you much less than you owed your Heavenly Father who has forgiven you. This is the point of the story. Jesus is using a a Middle Eastern technique of hyperbole to make His point. Anybody unclear on what His point is? This isn't a threat. This isn't a a systematic theology. It's a story. However, the point is clear. Act in forgiveness towards one another. I want to talk about why he might do this. All right? Let's go to just the the next uh, um, one and we just leave that up there now. Thank you so much. Forgiveness is necessary for the kinds of people that we are. It's the primary marker of our identity is forgiven. It's the primary way that God relates to us. It's the primary way that we are to relate to one another. It is the only way that we can live in a human community filled with people like us. Because we are going to hurt one another. In church, you're going to get people who offend you and whom you offend. You're going to bump up against people whose opinions and perspectives are different than yours. How do we live together? And the temptation is always, let's just get a coalition of people who are like me. That's a coalition of one. And by the way, when you get that one, you'll discover you don't like him very much either. You'll discover that she is annoying to you just like you're annoying to you. Oh, wait, it's me. Right? It's like the pogo. Remember the old comic strip from last century where he said, we have found the enemy and they is us. So, so forgiveness is the way of orienting to God, is a way of orienting to ourselves, is a way of orienting to others. That's the only way we live in a human community filled with fragile and frail people. Unless you intend to live the rest of your lives, both, both in reality and in um, kind of psychological space, pulling into your single car garage, having opened the door, closing the door behind you and just motoring on as if there were nobody else on the planet. 
But that's not what we are as the children of God are called to do, is it? We're called to go out and not just engage with people who are like us and whom we like. We are called to go out and engage with people whom our Father loves, but whom we don't like. So now what? Well, you better get your forgiver tuned up. Because it's going to get a lot of use over the years. Right? Here's why. God does not just want you to go to heaven. He wants you to reference Him to people on earth. He wants you to be His image. He wants you to be His representative. He wants to empower you so that you can do whatever you please. And one of the things that He hopes will please you is what pleases Him, namely, forgiving. It's the primary way that we are the image of God. And and we live in a culture, by the way, in which the world that we are sent to does not view Christians as forgiving. It views us as intolerant and arrogant and boastful and proud. This is not the God we are called to image to the world. Forgiveness is our primary orientation as the image of God. It is the only thing, by the way, that will enable the repentance that we hope will occur. People don't repent. I don't repent so that God forgives me. I repent because He has. I learn to live a new way because I don't, nothing's on the, on the line anymore. There is no condemnation to me if I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm going to heaven. This is not the point. Now I want to learn to live in such a way that I fit in when I get there. Right? That's what the image of God means. That's what it means for us to this. It's the strategy of, Greek, of, 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 of redemption. And, and this, of course, and, and at the end of the day, forgiveness is the mark of crucifixion. You want to be like Jesus, get good at forgiving. Again, um, his final words were what? Father, forgive them. Please notice, Jesus did not have to count to ten to work up that Father. It was as natural to him to forgive as it would have been for me to call down judgment. So if I want to become like Christ, I need to forgive naturally and from the heart without thinking about it. I want to have an orientation of forgiveness. It's the only way. It's the only way. You can't be married for more than ten minutes if you don't know how to forgive. You can't be in close relationships with friends for more than ten minutes. If If you've ever had a roommate, you know that forgiveness is fundamental. It ought to be written into the terms of the lease. Right? Because you're not living with you. That's the only way to negotiate. And this is the point, of course. This is the point. It's the mark of Jesus. It's the way that we take up our cross and follow Him. It's the strategy, I said, of healing. I've got a couple of minutes and I want to just give you a brief um, strategy for how to work through forgiveness. Um, because forgiveness, um, this is how I define forgiveness. It's choosing to release the person who hurt me 
from the pain they have caused me. That means I can now deal with the pain as my own. And I cannot have to deal with the person who hurt me. I don't have to fix him. I don't have to punish her. I can leave him or her to their own destiny. So it's a matter of release. And of course, who gets released when we forgive? We do. It's about the release of self. So I'm suggesting to you that forgiveness is a process or a process for our Canadian guests. Sorry, my sister-in-law is here, so I thought I'd translate into. Okay, this is really serious. Okay, Um, anyway, so forgiveness is a process. It takes a long time over time. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that easy forgiveness probably isn't forgiveness at all. It may be that you don't even need to forgive. You just need to get over yourself. Just need to grow up. You're a big boy, big girl. Put on your panties and go to work. You know, come on, get it, get, get, get going here. This is church. It's okay. We'll be out of here in a few minutes. You can go someplace next week. Okay. Um, so anyway, because because the deeper the wound, the longer the process of forgiveness is likely to be. C.S. Lewis, in in one of the last works that he wrote, uh, wrote about waking up one morning and realizing that he had finally forgiven the headmaster who was abusive to him. Sixty years before some of you have been so deeply wounded that that 60 year horizon is a realistic one by parents by that cousin who raped you by that person who took advantage of you by that person who took the money from you it's going to take a long time that'll hurt it's going to leave a mark but be released from that person into your own life. That's going to take a while. It's a process. It's a four-stage process. The first one is pain, which is why we don't like it. I want to get inside. What is it that was hurt by this person? Where was the betrayal? Where was the wound? What are the contours of that pain? When I walk with people who have been deeply wounded, been deeply betrayed, and and, and give them permission to take a few minutes, because we don't like pain, do we? We want to do everything we can. A lot of our addictions of one kind or another are ways of avoiding our own pain. Right? But the difficulty is, as you've said this to you before, pain that you run from gets bigger. Pain that you move towards gets smaller. And you discover you're bigger than your pain. So you want, to, you want to figure out what is the contour of that pain. Is it, is it steely and icy and glassy? Or is it rough and rugged and textured with crevasses? With places of, of tripwire, with explosions? What's the pain feel like? Now we want to invite Jesus into that pain. This is what it means for Him to hang on the cross. There's no pain. No darkness that you have experienced, but that He is not perfectly and completely familiar with and at home in. Right? No betrayal you can experience. No shame you can experience. But that He has not already been there. So invite Him into your pain. Let Him show you around. What is the nature of the pain? It will not be too long, especially at the beginning. Before you say, I think I've got it. I think I know what this is about. 
And now you can give yourself permission to feel what that pain generates in you. This is the second place that a lot of good Christians get off the bus. Because I don't like what I feel when I fully understand the nature of the pain. When I fully get what has been done to me. I don't like the surge of anger that I feel. I don't like hating somebody. Friends, if you're angry or if you hate, don't try and deny that you're angry and that you hate. Invite Jesus into it. Don't hang on to the hate. This is the problem. Get it to the cross. Invite Jesus to teach you how to be angry. Invite Jesus to teach you the nature of the boundary that's been violated. Remember, we talked about anger as an indicator of a boundary violation a couple of weeks ago. That's what it's for. So invite Him to teach you that. Pray your hatred. Tell God what you think He ought to do to this person who has done this to you. If you're not clear on whether this is okay, there are 85 Psalms written for precisely that purpose. 85 of 150. More than half of the Psalms are about anger and betrayal and disappointment and hurt and wound. They're not there for table decoration. They're there to teach us how to let go of the anger that is part of what it means for us to be human. So if you're hating, hate, but don't get stuck there. Offer it up. Crucify it with Christ on the cross. Does, does that make sense? Push through that. Then the third thing, and this is the hardest stage, you need some ritual of release. You can write it down. You can set it on fire. You can, you can write a letter. You don't have to post it. Otherwise, Alex is going to be surprised that everybody forgives him. No, no, no. Sorry. I just pick on you. Anyway, but do you see what I'm saying? So it's a matter of you're not releasing them. You're releasing you. And threefold release. You release yourself. Excuse me. You release the person from the pain they caused you. Because the pain is going to be permanently part of your story. You can't make it go away. Right? Second. You release that person to Jesus for Jesus to deal with that person. Now, I've always found it helpful to advise Jesus on what he ought to do. I've noticed, however, he rarely writes things down when I talk. That's, by the way, what the Psalms are doing. I want you to do this to these people. Look what they did to your people. But that, the beauty of the Psalms is that it filters my desires through the heart and love of the Father. That's what we're doing. So we release the person to Jesus. And now the third part and the hardest part is I release myself from the right and the responsibility of revenge. I don't have to carry them anymore. They're not my business to fix. I don't have to make my parents or my, my, my former wife or my husband or my lover. I don't need to straighten them out. They're none of my business. Right? Because release brings freedom. That's what forgiveness is about. There is no longer bound to or controlled by them. And then the fourth stage is the hardest one, is recalibration. This, please notice... Forgiveness does not always mean restoration of relationship. 
Sometimes the people who have hurt you continue to, to, to vomit out pain and hurt. You have to be solid in who you are. And if you can handle that without loss to yourself, that's one thing. But if you can't, you need to create space within which some, some of us, I'm walking with uh, uh, somebody who cannot speak to his father for probably at least the next year or so. Because his dad's just a, a, a whirling buzzsaw of pain. You don't keep walking into the buzzsaw and then blaming the buzzsaw. Stop walking into it. Forgiveness does not mean I'll have another. Forgiveness recalibrates relationship and allows me to say, we're going to decide how this goes forward from here by the grace of God. Now, if I'm in a relationship uh, of covenant like, like a marriage, then I, then I have a predisposition to reconciliation. I just have a predisposition to that. And I've walked with people through marriages that have been shattered by affairs. And forgiveness is the hard work forgiveness, not facile, you know, dime store forgiveness. But hard work forgiveness is the only way forward in a relationship that has been broken by betrayal of one kind or another. It's possible, by the way. It's possible. So, pain, anger or hate, release in three stages and recalibration. To forgive is to release the person who hurt me from the pain they caused me and myself to the freedom that forgiveness brings. My sense uh, as, as we work through this, and I know I've gone a bit longer, apologize for that. Um, not really. You have to forgive me anyway. So, um, Otherwise, Jesus said... Um, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, some of you may need us to pray with you because this has really been tough for you. The, 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 the credits list of people who have pained you are rolling through your heads even as we close the service. And you need some help with this. You, know, you, you want to do this, but by God, this is hard to do. Uh, we're going to create some space after the service is dismissed for you to come up and let us pray with you. But forgiveness is grace on the ground. So the altar call to this sermon is how you treat people tomorrow morning as you head out the door. Does that make sense? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are grateful for your love and your mercy. Um, we don't quite know what to do with it, do with it, having received it. But now we know that you challenge us to have that same love and mercy actualized in forgiveness in other people as we treat, as, as uh, we, we respond to them who have treated us poorly. Teach us how to do that, Lord. And I pray, O oh God, for courage for those who um, sitting here just can't wait to get out. Not to practice forgiveness, but to get away from the pressure that they feel from the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage just to hang in there, to come and let somebody pray with them for the release, for the beginning of the stage of forgiveness, 
And I pray, Good Shepherd, that You would lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, which is what it feels like, with um, a rod and a staff that comfort, and find ourselves in good company with a host who knows how to forgive. Teach us how to do this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.